Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. It has been a while, but certainly uh, some very big news over the weekend that we felt like merited uh, coming back to you. So with nothing further to do, yes, I did win my Michigan Daily Alumni Fantasy Baseball League uh, with a big weekend. Uh, obviously, huge years from Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez, Jacob deGrom, and uh, I mean, I... I it is worth an emergency podcast. So, Prashant, uh, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, with the fantasy baseball and really how a lot of these sports are going, I guess, did you get like an added bonus just for like having the least amount of players to, you know, catch COVID or something like that? Because my understanding was, you know, the, the Cubs were the only team that made it through. So you must have had a relatively healthy roster to get through the season. Juan Soto was my first round pick. So he uh, he had, I think he started the season on the COVID yeah. list. So, uh, but otherwise, it was relatively smooth. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, the actual big news that, that merits an emergency podcast is the Red Wings trade for Mark Stahl in a 2021 second-round pick from the New York Rangers over the weekend. Uh, came kind of out of nowhere, but we knew something like this was was going to be an option that, that made a lot of sense for the Red Wings. In this specific case of this specific Mark Stahl deal, 2021 second round pick for a $5.7 million cap hit, uh, we think it's either $3.2 million or $4.2 million in, in real dollars for Mark Stahl. How does this grade out from the Red Wings perspective? I think it's a, it's a really interesting deal to evaluate because, you know, like you said, Max, like this is a this is a move you and I have been talking about really for months about weaponizing cap space. You know, you've written numer- numerous articles kind of looking at different targets and Really, Mark Stahl is a name that never popped up, even though he probably should yeah. have, given uh, you know how much you know the contract kind of fit who you want to look at. I think obviously the Rangers winning the lottery uh, certainly changed their kind of uh, outlook moving forward and kind of sped up their timeline, as we've talked about it does. And so, you know, when I look at this through the lens, I think there's two things I'm evaluating here: the strategy of actually going and doing it, and then did you get enough if you're Detroit to take on that that cap hit. So I think to start with the strategy piece of things, like we've said, I think this is a brilliant idea. You know, you're Detroit. You're a team that's still willing to spend money. Um, you've got boatloads of cap space. I think, you know, before that deal was made, uh, Detroit had, you know, upwards of $33 million in cap space. So plenty of money to to work with. And and outside of Bertuzzi and, and Manta, there weren't going to be many other high-dollar players that needed to come in. Uh, so the Wings were likely going to have plenty of space to explore a handful of these types of deals. Uh, so I think the strategy there is great in a team like New York that now getting Lafreniere at first overall, who I presume is going to be their their pick. Uh, you know, you add him into the mix. You, you know, they've recently added Truba. You had Panarin as a Hart Trophy candidate. You're only expecting Capocacco to get better. Uh, obviously, you've got a great goaltending duo in, in Shesterkin and uh, Georgiev and Net, assuming that they also buy out Lundqvist. So their timeline's sped up. They're the perfect team to, to target uh, for a deal like this. But part of me kind of sits here and wonders, did Detroit get enough to take on you know a $5.7 million deal uh, in cap it, even if it's only $3.2 million in real dollars? I think a middle kind of round second or middle second round pick um, while it's nice, it now gives Detroit six picks uh, next year in addition to the six picks this year in the first three rounds. I don't know that it was enough. That's kind of the question here, right? And and so the deal with you know pricing on on decisions on on trades like this, people ask about this stuff all the time, and they kind of and it would be much easier if there were a like a a 
clear conversion, right? Cap dollars to pick value. And and I'm sure there are models out there that, that attempt it. And I'm sure there's internal ones. I'm sure there's public ones. And I, I'm guessing all of them, even when there is kind of a, an, an analytic attempt or an algorithm to try and figure it out, it is going to be fluid based on the market because situations like a flat salary cap, like the urgency of the team who's trading and like the urgency to get draft capital from the team that's acquiring are always going to move those values up or down slightly. But, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of that there, like we, Mark Stahl was not a name we've talked about much, if at all, um, in one of these deals. And I'd say there's probably two reasons for that. One is there was a no move clause that we thought was in effect. Steve Eiserman basically said last night, his understanding was that Stahl's no move clause didn't apply, although he did not want to get into what, what exactly that meant. So um, I don't know what that means. Um, but the other side of it was because at, at a one-year expiring contract at $5.7 million for a team that maybe was going to make the playoffs this year, maybe wasn't. Um, I just didn't really see the urgency on the Rangers part. I mean, I know they need to re-sign Tony D'Angelo and and Ryan Strom, but um, you know, the same level of urgency that was present when the uh, Carolina Hurricanes were able to get a first-round pick from, from Toronto for taking on Patrick Marlowe's contract, I did not see that necessarily being present in the Rangers, um, certainly to the point where you would get like a first-round pick. And those are kind of the, the, the types of contracts you and I have mostly been talking about because certainly the, the first round pick is the most desirable, right? So um, to me, I think this is sort of a market establishing deal. Like this establishes what a cap dollar is worth. So now you look at other deals. I, I did ask Eiserman yesterday, is he worth, is, is he willing to do uh, more deals like this? And he basically said, you know, yes, if the right ones are out there. To me, if, 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 a, if a second round pick is what you get for one year at 5.7 million in cap dollars, Maybe it's a first round pick takes two years at a similar number. And you look at a contract like maybe Johnny Boychuk, although I think Boychuk a better player than Mark Stahl, and that obviously weighs in. You know, Kyle Turris, someone asked about in the comments of my story, similar deal, obviously four times the length. So the, the you know, in a vacuum, obviously that should be worth something close to Nashville's 11th pick, but he's also a better player. And you also have to get Nashville to do it. You, you can't just say too bad. That's the price. Do it. Cause they might just hang on to the player. So to me, I, I think the value is fine. I don't think Mark Stahl's a hindrance on the Red Wings. I mean, as long as Chris, Chris Illich is willing to shell out the money, you basically just bought a draft pick, and whether you overpaid or underpaid, it doesn't really matter as long as he's cool with that. But what I, where I think it does matter is the valuation that this will have on potential future deals because, to me, this establishes what a cap dollar is worth in 2020. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think really the first deal that kind of set the market for this was that Patrick Marlowe deal that you kind of alluded to where Carolina – you know, was able to trade for Marlowe and, and get a first round pick uh, out of the Maple Leafs, which ended up being 15th overall, which is, um, you know, a great deal. And they had to take on 6.25 uh, million for Patrick Marlowe's salary. And so I think that was kind of the first one that set it. Um, and then obviously now this deal here with the Wings taking a, a $5.7 million cap hit for $3.2 million or $4.2 million in real dollars, depending on that signing bonus being paid or not. Uh, you know, I think it does set the market, but I think what's really interesting is how far apart the market is from what we would consider to be ideal state. And so, you know, an ideal state, I kind of did an, a test evaluation of this on, on Sunday during the day and kind of tweeted it out where I took Dom Lushizen's, uh draft pick value model, where he basically projects the amount of wins a player picked at a certain pick would contribute over the first seven years, which is presumably the time that they're under that team's control. Uh, and then I use that as well as his conversion from 
that wins model that he's got to actual cap dollars to basically estimate how much each pick was worth in just straight up cash value. And so you look at something like the 45th overall pick, which is kind of where I'm guessing uh, this Rangers pick kind of falls around. By Dom's model, that pick's worth only about $850,000 in an ideal state. And again, that's based on historically what a player picked at 45th overall gave that team over the first seven years of their contract. And so I think it's really fascinating how far apart the two things are, because even if you go and you look at the Patrick Marlowe deal, and at the time, Carolina doesn't know that this is going to be 15th overall. They're trading for a conditional first round pick that was basically lottery protected. And, you know, when the Leafs don't win the lottery, they slot in at 15th. And you look at this this deal, well, 15th overall even in this setting, is still just about $2.5 million, where Carolina took on $6.25 million there. So again, an excess payment of you know $4 million or so. So it sort of asks you, you know, Detroit has all of this cap space. Every dollar is valuable. You know, if you're in a situation where, sure, I can get a second round pick here, but is it worth bailing out the Rangers in that sense, given how far apart you are from ideal state? I think that's the interesting question because obviously right now we're nowhere near ideal state. Obviously, Detroit needs resources and assets, but who's the more desperate team here? Can you get more out of New York? Do you hang on to those dollars, let New York shop the market, see if someone else is going to take it, risk losing out on that pick? Do you ask New York for their first round pick and you give them a second round pick that you've got to almost up the value of one of the picks that you have given that the Rangers had two picks in the first round this year, their own. That's the the Pavel Datsuk situation. Right, exactly. And so do you almost kind of think about a Pavel Datsuk type contract where I think Arizona did quite well in that situation to be able to make that switch, take on that contract. And obviously the Wings are still happy picking up Philip Aronik and and Dennis Chalowski, but also worked out quite nicely for Arizona to jump up and get a player. So, you know, I think there were things that the Wings could have explored and and again, we don't know any of the background of the negotiations. You don't know, you know, what all went into, you know, did they talk about the first round pick? Did they talk about, you know, swapping second round picks? Did Detroit, you know, elect a shop around on the market elsewhere or tell the Rangers to do the same? But at the end of the day, you want Detroit's cap dollars to really be maximized. And I don't know that $5.7 million for, you know, 45th overall is, is truly enough, although for Detroit, it's better than nothing. So tell me a little more about ideal state, because I hear you say, you know, less than a million dollars is what that pick would be worth. But obviously in a trade like this, no team's moving, no team, I mean, you would agree with this, no team's moving a second round pick to move a guy on a $1 million contract. And and when you do look back on that Canes-Leafs trade, there's a Don Waddell quote from um, August, he was talking to Pierre, he said, we put dollar values on draft picks. We thought that if Toronto was to win the cup, it was probably a break-even deal. So that's at number 31 overall, Marlowe's basically $6 million cap hit would have broke even at 31st. So uh, obviously I, I hear what you're saying. Like there's a, there's a gap there, but what is, what is, what are we measuring the gap against it? What, what is kind of ideal state? Yeah. So, I mean, ideal state is this kind of cursory, you know, valuation that I've kind of built here, which is basically you're looking and, and taking the amount of value that a player picked at that position historically has contributed to that team over their first seven years, which again, presumably is the amount of time that they're under team control, given their, kind of initial ELC, the amount of years it takes to make the NHL, et cetera, et cetera. And when the thing is, when you've looked at all these draft pick curves and you look at, 
either Dom's war curve that he created with gold, you know, his GSVA model. You'll get the curve that I made a few, you know, months back with the evolving hockey's war. They're all very similar in that there's a steep drop off from the first pick all the way down until you get somewhere around 40 or 50. And then that curve almost levels off. And, you know, what we kind of know from that is we know it's teams are pretty good at identifying the value and picking the value in those earlier parts. The later rounds do tend to be lottery balls. But on the whole, you know, you're talking about 70 percent of a draft or 60 percent of a draft never even sniffs the NHL. And so the later those picks are, you know, the higher the likelihood that, you know, you took on some asset, you took on some cap hit and you're getting absolutely nothing out of it. You know, on the flip side here, you know, the second round pick is still a lottery ball to work with. It's just historically that lottery ball hasn't been particularly valuable. So I think that's the ideal state you're kind of comparing against is teams right now are paying in this current market well above what the ideal state is based on what that pick has actually contributed. And that that's where I think the gap is right now. There are some teams where that pick is more valuable. You know, right now, if you're a good drafting team and you're able to leverage those picks into trading down, trading up, you know, Carolina's done a really good job of this over the last couple of drafts in terms of moving up and down the draft to get the guys that they want while accumulating more assets. I think if you're more skilled with that pick in your hand, maybe it's more valuable. But this is kind of taking a league average and saying, yeah, I mean, right now, a second round pick at $5.7 million, there's just not, it's not seeing eye to eye for me there. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. So, so here's what I would maybe hypothesize that the the difference comes in, right? So certainly there is a solid, if not maybe even majority chance. Is that, is it majority chance that the second round pick never makes the NHL? Yeah. Yeah. It's majority chance. Yeah. Second round pick never makes the NHL. So that's the, that's the likely chance. But what, what you see with, with, because of that is that the Red Wings now will have three second round picks in three straight drafts as long as they don't trade one this year or next year that obviously increases the odds that you're going to get some NHL players and certainly it increases the odds that um you know one of them is going to actually be a really good player so what i would point to for example the value of having multiple and i think you would agree with this is is because of that randomness it, do those picks almost become more va- more valuable when you have more of them just because that way like you know your judgment is likely more likely than not to yield a non-NHL player. But if you're able to make more picks, you got a better chance to to come out of it with, with someone who's a difference maker. Back in 2013, the Red Wings get Tyler Bertuzzi in the second round. But the reason I bring that up isn't to say there's good players available in the second round. It's to say that he was their second pick of the second round after Zach Nastasiak, who never made the NHL. And that's the likely outcome. But when you pick up those extra picks, you get multiple of the guys you like, and you just increase increase your odds that one of the guys that you like, you'll be right about. Yeah, and that's the hope. And that's assuming that an NHL team is really no better than, you know, yeah. throwing darts at a board to pick an NHL player. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of looked that way once you get beyond pick 50 that it is a little bit of rolling the dice and seeing what happens. And and while you want to, well, the natural kind of tendency here is, yeah, you give yourself as many lottery balls as possible. Remember that those $5.7 million could have been allocated in a different manner, whether that's yep. pursuing a different deal. You have to think about the opportunity cost of committing the $5.7 million here. You know, think about it as, as someone being 100, you know, I give you a kid $100 and, you know, the shop owner comes and says, all right, this Kit Kat bar is 10 bucks. 
Well, the kid's got $100, fine. 10 bucks is fine. You're gonna pay 10 bucks for a Kit Kat bar, but all you got was a Kit Kat bar for 10 bucks. You should have paid, you know, 80 cents for that. So that's the concern you have to say is, could I have then used those $10 and bought something else? And that's what you have to say if you're the Red Wings is fine. I had $33 million in cap space, but obtaining, you know, only one middle second round pick, not even this year, but next year, uh, is that worth that huge chunk of money when I could have used that to explore other deals? Or as we've always talked about, go into the season with a significant amount of cap space. And as teams become more and more willing to give up uh, assets at the trade deadline when they're more sure of their current state, that's where you may even be able to squeeze more out of certain teams. Like Detroit has been able to do in the last couple of years, you know, the Thomas Tatar deal comes to mind getting a first, second, and third that the Wings are still working off of uh, right now from Vegas. So, you know, I think that's all the factors that have to go into your head. But at the end of the day, you can be happy there's a second. You just have to ask, could I have gotten more with those dollars allocated elsewhere? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I will say of the trade deadline thing, teams tend to have more space at the deadline because you can kind of bank it um, because the cap is kind of calculated daily, right? So you can kind of bank space over the season. And and usually, I mean, obviously there was the Boston-Anaheim deal last year as kind of a, a cap-related trade, but that also involves Andre Kasha. Um to me, I, I think that maybe the cap space is, is more valuable right now. But I certainly hear what you're saying about, you know, finding what, what an actual, uh, you know, a win is worth versus a cap dollar and, and then how much that affects how much salary you should take on. My read on it, though, is as long as Chris Illich is willing to pay it, and clearly he was, there's really no harm to the Red Wings here other than what else they can do with that space. And as long as we're saying that the the price here is still somewhat in line with, with league market, whether or not that's ideal state. Um, then I think this actually is pretty much in line with what I would have expected for this contract without knowing anything about the ideal state. Yeah. And, and it kind of lines up with what Carolina did. You know, if you use my ideal yeah. state curve that I just generated, Carolina's kind of paying 4 million over, you know, ideal state. And in this situation, right. Detroit's okay, yeah. paying about 4.9 million over ideal state. So, you know, the surplus is roughly equivalent. And maybe that tells you a little bit about the market uh, where we're at right now. And that may color how Detroit, you know, approaches future deals. But, you know, again, the, the only harm to the wings is could those $5.7 million have been allocated in a different manner that nets more resources? Well, then do I have a segue for you? Because you sent me a tweet earlier today uh, that was from someone named Rear Admiral, uh, who I he's part of the Spitting Chicklets podcast, uh, and he is talking about Tory Krug and the Bruins potentially trading his rights. So he he wrote, "Look for the Bruins to trade Tory Krug's rights tomorrow to a team looking for exclusive negotiating rights before unrestricted free agency opens October 9th. Colorado, Florida, Vegas, and Detroit among the suitors." I can't confirm whether or not that's, you know, the expectation from the Bruins, but because you sent it to me, let's talk about this as we're talking about ways to use cap space uh, and draft picks for that matter. What do you think about the possibility of not just signing Tory Krug, but trading something for his exclusive negotiating rights? Yeah, I mean, I think trading, you know, I've been against signing Krug, I think, for months, and I think I've said this for months. Uh, even more so would I be against giving up assets to then sign him um, in order to, you know, ensure you have the exclusive rights. Because, you know, from my standpoint, where the wings are at, they just had a historically awful season. 
you know, if you want to use the evolving hockey model, uh, which is their standing points above replacement level. So basically, how many more points are you better than replacement level, which is, you know, basically, a, you know, trotting out a uh, kind of the lowest of the low NHL team. The Wings were actually 15 points below replacement level, 15 standing points. That's eight wins below replacement level. No other team in the in 13 years that we have data has ever been worse than minus five. And so you're, you're talking about a team that was just so, so bad that if you go out, you spend assets that can be used on the future on a guy that's 29, going to be 30 you know, by the end of next season, and is a smallish defenseman who's projected to score or projected to, to get a cap at somewhere around $7.4 million dollars, over five years, I mean, you're literally paying him as he exits his best years. You're tying up money that could be used down the line to re-sign Philip Zadina, potentially, you know, negotiate a, a longer-term deal for whoever your fourth overall pick is this year, potentially a longer-term deal for Moritz Sider, depending on how he plays out. And you're going to waste those assets just trying to acquire those rights for a guy that at the end of the day isn't going to move the needle a lot for you, and you're going to waste his best years uh, left on a team that's just going to likely be, you know, bottom five again next season. So I just don't see this move being smart. I can see why some people want it. You clearly don't want to watch the same thing you saw last year. Uh, I think random variance is going to make sure that you don't see the same thing you saw last year. You know, if you look at uh, the five teams before Detroit that had ever had a ever finished below replacement level, almost all of them saw at least a 10 win improvement the following season or somewhere in that ballpark. Only one team did not. Uh, and that was the 2012, 2013 Florida Panthers going into 2013, 2014. They're the only team that didn't see that. And they still saw a five win bump. So I think random variance is still going to get you some of the way better uh, than where you were this past season. And I don't think it means you need to go out and spend a lot of money on a guy like Tory Krug that's just not going to move the needle. I can see both sides to the attempt to sign Tory Krug. I think, you know, as much as I'm sure they like Mark Stahl's kind of veteran element and, and experience to that, Tory Krug provides all that while also being a well above average uh, NHL player. Um, I think he 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 would add a lot to their team. Fill a big hole they're missing on on the first power play quarterback, maybe the best power play quarterback in the league. Certainly one of the best power play quarterbacks in the league still. Um, but I also see the the argument about his age and whether you're really going to be paying for his best years. Certainly whether you're going to be paying for them at the time when you're capable of really fully taking advantage of them. So I I think you know I could see both sides of that. Whether you want to argue it um, one way or the other, I don't think. It, it's really um, an all or nothing like proposition. It's either all right or all wrong. There's there's going to be pros and cons whichever route they choose to go. I will say the idea of trading for the negotiating rights though would really seem to be boxing you in because if you give up an asset for the exclusive negotiating rights, you really have to sign them then. And and, and if the demand, the bottom line demand is higher than you're willing to go, well then you're either going to look bad because you just punted an asset. Uh, to get those rights, or you're going to sign them at, at a at a number that maybe you're not totally comfortable with, and you know that's a that's another problem. If if, if Colorado is the team that's going to be the one bidding on this, then good luck because they've got plenty of cap space and they can afford to part with a pick, um, and and they can just get it done and they can give him his number. Like that's you know if Colorado wants to get this deal done with 
with Tory Krug, as, as that tweet suggested, um, then good luck. But what I think is interesting is the idea of it being Vegas, because Vegas does not have the obvious cap space to do a deal like that. And this is where I'll circle back to one of the names we have talked about in, in kind of cap dump related trades or, or cap shelter related trades, however you want to term it. Um, if Vegas wants to sign Tory Krug, then I think you're immediately on the phone uh, with Kelly McCrimmon and you're trying to figure out a way to to retain some of Marc-Andre Fleury's cap hit in a three-team deal wherever Vegas ultimately wants to send him. Or ultimately, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing him as a fit for Detroit, but, you know, if Vegas is really motivated, like it's the difference between getting their their target, you know, potentially top-line uh, free agent or not, maybe you can really juice that market price of cap space a little more. This is speculation. I'm not starting a rumor here, but I'm just saying if there is a deal to be made around Krug's exclusive negotiating rights, uh, it might almost make more sense to do it on the end for the other team who needs cap space to make that happen. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly how Detroit should be playing this. If you see a report like that, and that's truly legitimate, if I'm Detroit, I'm calling Vegas. I'm not calling Boston. I'm calling Vegas and saying, hey, you want to get the edge in Colorado? Uh, here, this is how you do it. Give me Marc-Andre Fleury, throw in your first round pick next year, and I'll send you back, you know, uh, one of the seconds that I got for 2021 or even one of Detroit's, you know, two thirds in 2021 to, to make the deal kind of work out. But yeah, let's do that. And then now you'll, you've got this chunk of change that you can then turn and give Tory Krug a $7 million deal make him happy and, and and you're now all of a sudden positioned to, you know, be the the favorites in the Western Conference for the next few years while you've got your core because Vegas is in win now mode. I mean, they've got Robin Leonard who they'll likely resign. They need the money for him as well. Um, but you know, their defensive group and their forward group is kind of right in the middle of their prime. You know, Mark Stone's twenty eight Pacioretty's 31, you know, Stasny's 34, William Carlson's 27, you know, Marchester's 29. They've Their guys are right in that prime and they got to win now. And so that's the move I make if I'm Detroit is I see this report. I'm Steve Eiserman and I'm calling Vegas to do exactly what you said, Max. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I just don't see the Tory Krug thing working directly for Detroit because for me, the Mark Stahl deal does not make sense in the same kind of space that a Tory Krug, I'm going to give up assets to sign him, makes sense. Because that that doesn't jive unless either one, the Wings believe Mark Stahl can still be a viable player, even though, you know, last season he was among the bottom 3% defensemen in the NHL uh, and, and is only getting older in, in that sense. Or two, you actually made that deal to acquire additional assets to then entice Boston to make a Krug deal. Outside of either one of those being true, I just don't see a situation where, you know, the crew to Detroit stuff makes a lot of sense. I think that's fair. Yeah, certainly don't want to to fuel rumors too much here, but it is an interesting topic. And since we get asked about Krug all the time, I just figured uh, I would kind of take your temperature on on where you stood on that, just as a possibility. You know, almost uh, almost regardless. So. Always good to check in on that stuff. Uh, but while we're while we're talking, let's talk about Sam Gagne because he signed a one year extension uh, Saturday as well. One year deal, very low maintenance. Uh, I mean, w- what's your take on uh, one one more year of Sam Gagne in Detroit? It's exactly the deal. I think both you and I wanted to to see the Wings make. You know, if you look at their second line center uh, role, they obviously had signed Valtteri Filppula, hoping that he would be able to uh, hold down that spot. It was very clear that. 
Phil Pillow was a little bit in over his head and really struggled last season. Franz Nielsen's had a substantial drop off. So now you're kind of asking yourself, do I go chase a uh, an unrestricted free agent out on the open market and potentially spend more money for, again, for a second line center that's not moving the needle for this team a whole lot? Or do you kind of re-sign Sam Gagne, let him hold down the fort uh, because you're kind of waiting to bring along Michael Rasmussen and, and Joe Valeno at a little bit slower pace? And so I thought that was exactly the right move. They get him, you know, at 850000 which is an excellent value for him. And, you know, hey, if Gagne has a solid season, he becomes a trade ship at the deadline that you can flip again for additional assets. So all in all, I think that was just the perfect move uh, for the Wings. It also gives them a little bit of insurance if Robbie Fabry doesn't work out at center, which it sounds like they might try him there a little bit uh, during the season. So all in all, I can't fault that move whatsoever. Yeah, Eisenman really harped on the, the the two things being the right shot and what he can do for their power play. Those are both key things. I mean, they don't have any right shots other than Luke Lindenning currently under contract at forward. Uh, and the, the fact that Gagne can add that element and help their power play, I think that's legitimate. And I also think, I know people can roll their eyes at this stuff sometimes because the Red Wings ultimately need more high-end young talent long-term. But you got to have guys who can, you know, be a steady presence for those for those young players as they get brought along. And I think that's really important to development. Whether or not, you know, whether or not you think it's the most important is kind of beside the point because when it's a one-year deal for a low-cap hit, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a no-lose situation. Almost no matter what happens here, this is not a deal that's going to, to burn the Red Wings at all. So uh, I, I think it made a lot of sense. Let's take a quick break right there, and then we're going to come back, and we're just going to kind of break down some of the roster ripples from all these moves. Last week is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and prepare for this week. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with DraftKings. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. DraftKings has paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know a thing or two about cold hard cash. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the week 4 action. Enter code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code RUN only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay. 
Okay, so I just figured to kind of wrap the show up here today. We've talked about you know a few topics now: Sam Gagne, Mark Stahl, uh, and obviously we've rejuvenated. We threw some uh, some some gas on the fire of any of any Tory Krug discussion. Uh, but I wanted to kind of talk about how the roster shapes up in light of all this stuff. It, I certainly don't think they're done based on how much more business they have to attend to. Still have to sign Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi, and obviously um, we're not even to the draft or free agency yet. But the way that these moves uh, shook out, and with some of the comments Iserman made yesterday, I just wanted to talk a little bit about where you see the roster heading for opening night as of now, before any other moves are made. And God knows, at this rate, there could be another one before this even publishes. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I was surprised, you know, the other day when that Mark Stahl deal happened. I looked down at my watch and I was like, it's not 11:30 in the middle of the night. So clearly, I need <laughs> no. To but stay I up was and- uh, I was on vacation at a lake house in Wisconsin, so suitably uh, surprising. Suitably has to catch you off guard. There. No, I mean, yeah. very clearly the wings aren't done. You know, they've got a handful of guys in place now. I mean, you're expecting probably your top line stays together. Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, once those contracts get done, expect there to be no problems with that. Uh, you know, you're going to have Darren Helm, Sam Gagne, Philip Zadina. I'd expect that's probably your second line uh, to give a little bit of veteran and defensive presence there. I think after that is where everything's kind of up in the air. You know, if Robbie Fabry is really going to play third line center, you've got him. And and last season, the Wings like to put Glenn Denning on the wing uh, with him again to give that extra defensive support when they're playing together. I would, you know, and of the remaining restricted free agents, I would probably expect uh, Timishoff to come in kind of around league minimum, which is 700000 or maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, and then decisions will be made on. Uh, Adam Ernie, Brendan Perlini, you know, if any, either of those guys are going to be back. I suspect Ernie maybe comes back, but potentially not Perlini. I think Ernie, you know, being an Iserman draft pick may get another shot in Detroit, but we'll see. Uh, Christopher N, you know, again, I think he's probably a guy that the Wings re-signed just to have the body there, but I don't know that he's on the NHL roster. And so probably your fourth line kind of finishes out with Ernie Nielsen and potentially Giovanni Smith coming up. Uh, so that, that, that'll kind of solidify the forwards. I think defense is interesting because I think in Eiserman's presser, you know, he made the comment about needing that second left shot, um, you know, hole still to be filled. Obviously, you've got Danny DeKaiser back. And now with the addition of Mark Stahl, you've got two guys on the left side. Uh, but the Wings, you know, have a lot of right handers, uh, you know, with Philip Ronick uh, obviously expecting Moritz Sider to probably – uh, make the jump, you know, Alex Biega, Madison Bowie, still parts of the organization. Uh, Gustav Lindstrom, you know, caught some time last year. Uh, Patrick Nemeth as well, you know, so you've got a lot of guys uh, in there, but I think they're still looking on that left side and whether it's Dennis Chalowski or they go out and find somebody, uh, that's the big question mark for me. And then obviously backup goaltender, I think is the other big hole uh, still to fill unless the wings, you know, go after a Marc-Andre Fleury or, you know, revisit New York and, and ask for, for Henrik Lundqvist and, and take that contract off them. Yeah, Chalowski is the big question mark for me now after this because the way I was looking at it were there are three locks for your nightly NHL lineup. Unless, you know, unless Danny DeKaiser is not able to stay healthy, which obviously he, he did miss the vast majority of the season last year. But assuming his health, there were three no-doubt guaranteed locks every single night there in the lineup, DeKaiser, Nemeth, and Philip Hironik. Um Obviously, Alex Biega also under contract. Uh, and then Moritz Sider and Gustav Lindstrom, both guys who we think have the potential to make this roster. 
uh, Gustav Lindstrom came up and played capably at the end of the year, but you you just never know with young players, you know, if they're full time ready or not. As much as as good as Moritz Sider looked in Grand Rapids last year, it's certainly still possible that he wouldn't quite be a full timer as much as I think he will be. Um, but it's also going to be a weird year, and, and you just never know. So I was counting on three locks. That left spots for Chalowski, Sider, Lindstrom, and then if one or two of them isn't ready, obviously Biega can help out. You got Madison Bowie as an unsigned RFA, and I did figure they would have to bring in a veteran um, one way or the other, whether it be in this mold of Mark Stahl or whether it be uh, on the free agent market. And I had kind of in my head been thinking, you know, a short-term deal. So Mark Stahl does qualify as that. Um, but because it's on the left side and Chalowski is a left-handed defenseman, now the question is, okay, so is he going to beat out Mark Stahl for the job, which doesn't seem completely implausible based on kind of where where Mark Stahl graded out by some underlying metrics last year. But, you know, Iserman was talking last night as if he plans on Stahl being in the lineup. So if that's the case, is someone sliding over to play on their offhand? Certainly the Red Wings have done that in the past. They haven't always had a full, uh, you know, what, what would you say, ammo of, of right defenseman? I'm missing the word there. But um, so, so you can always play someone on their offside, and maybe that's how it happens. But um, does that block Sider? Does that block Lindstrom? What does that mean for Bowie? And, and certainly what does that mean for Alex Biega, who was one of the first deals they redid before the season even ended? They extended his deal. So I'm very curious at what the ripple is on defense, especially because it sounds like Iserman said they're they're open to adding on the right side as well. So uh, are you moving someone out? Are you just going to make it a full-on competition and whoever doesn't make the roster, that's 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 the breaks? I mean, that, that certainly wouldn't be an, an, an implausible route here but um it's going to be very interesting to shake out yeah i mean i completely agree and and you know you can think of it as eiserman you know can take a conservative approach which hasn't seemed to be you know really his approach uh, in his one year as gm and, and maybe you run with the guys that you've got because you've got enough bodies to fill the spots or you know something that i don't think is out of the question is he shops one or two of these younger guys and and says look you know maybe i'll look for a team that's looking for a reclamation project or has the minutes available for a guy like Chalowski uh, or a guy like Madison Bowery, which is how he ended up in Detroit in the first place. And, you know, potentially you, you make a deal like that uh, and, and free up some space there to go out and get another guy. So I really nothing's off the table here. And I'm just kind of curious to see, um, you know, what Eisenman's philosophy is going to be uh, when it comes to filling out that defense and even filling out the bottom half of the forward lineup. I'm most curious to see what they have left in store uh, at forward as well, because he did say they're going to give Robbie Fabry a look at center. He did not really commit to Sam Gagne at center, but although they do like the versatility there, uh, but I, you know, I, I'm not really hearing a ton of certainty as to still what the plan is at second line center. And of course it's still very early. So it would be strange if there was complete certainty, but um, I'm curious to see what happens there because I think that's an area of the ice. They have to get better. Um, Philip Zadina, or one of the top two guys on the top line, if, if they want to shake things up, they're going to need a center who is more offensively capable um, than Valtteri Filippo approved to be last season. Maybe it's just improvement from Valtteri Filippo and banking on that. But again, with these aging curves and the way that, that people do age, I don't know if it's fair at this age to expect a big bounce back. And, and maybe it's Robbie Fabry. Um, but if, if, if he's the guy, then you're just opening a big hole at, at second second wing, right? Second left wing. So 
Um, I'm very curious to see what happens at forward here. Um, and, and I really think, you know, it's been busy the last like 24 hours or so. I, I don't think it's going to slow down all that much. Maybe it's not rapid fire to the same degree, but um, it certainly seems like there's, there's plenty left to do here this summer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be somewhat rapid fire when you think about the draft coming up, you know, in just over a week. Schedule-wise, yeah. You know, think about unrestricted free agency opening as well. I mean, it's going to be everything is slam dunk crammed right now instead of having it normally spaced out the way it is. So, you know, I think that's part of the reason why just be on be on the lookout for rapid fire news the next couple of weeks. I solemnly pledge to uh, to not leave my phone anymore for the next, I don't know, maybe ever. <laughs> but uh, that's just how it's going to have to be, and and we certainly thank uh, thank you guys for for tuning in and listening. We uh, we actually have already recorded our next episode. We we pre recorded our draft uh, preview because Prashant's not going to be uh, near his his podcasting setup. So it's going to be very funny when you guys listen to this. And there's actually a line I think one of us said in that episode, like if a trade happens, sorry we don't know about it at this point. So. Um, that'll be fun for you guys to stumble upon and discover. So look for that sometime uh, later this week. We'll get into our final draft thoughts and predictions. Fortunately, I don't think any of that actual content changed because this is just a 2021 pick. But now that I've teased that, there's going to be another move inevitably between now and when this one drops, so I'll sound even dumber. I mean, at this point, expect the unexpected, which is exactly why I'm going on vacation starting Monday morning. So so there you go. If, if the Red Wings make another deal, uh, send Prashant bourbon uh, and maybe some, what, chocolate barbecue? What do you prefer there? Yeah, yeah, or some fried chicken. That'll work, too. Fair enough. All right. Uh, obviously, you all have his address already, so, so you'll know where to send that. So <laughs> uh, take care and have a good uh, rest of your week. We'll have another episode coming for you soon. And uh, by the time you hear this, I believe it'll be eight days till draft day. So the countdown continues. Take care. <laughs>